0: This podcast is supported by Red Energy. Powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806.
1: Congratulations. Victoria's housing market has rebounded strongly this year.
0: Hammers were falling once again.
1: Buy numbers per auction
0: are actually up on last year. Rates, of course, on hold again at 0.25%. National house prices
1: were still rising.
0: A man's home is his castle. And today it goes under the hammer.
1: Welcome to Under the Hammer. For Red Energy, moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy.
0: And it is fantastic to be back with you on Under the Hammer. I'm Jane Newell, joined by Ben Reid and Claire Park from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates. I've got a sneaking suspicion, Claire and Ben, that things may have been a little busier for you guys over the weekend than they were when we spoke a week ago. So Ben, was it a definite feeling that things were back on track, that the uh, activity in the real estate sector has picked up?
1: Yeah, for sure. And we're now three weeks into Uh, getting out of the lockdown period. And we're starting to get back to a a feeling of normality. There's certainly more buyers that are attending open for inspections. The auction volumes are going up week on week now. So it's starting to feel like a more normal market.
0: And Claire, did you have inspections and clients and and was it
2: a busy weekend for you? Yes, it was. Uh, So I was fully booked, nine till four. I had open homes to get to with and, and without some clients. So Yes, a busy, busy out there. <laughs>
0: do, do you remember that feeling after, what, two
2: months of almost no, <laughs> you know, footwork that suddenly you're up on, on your feet for the whole day? And... <laughs> Absolutely. It was really exciting to actually be back out and experiencing the atmosphere of open homes, albeit 10 people at a time. So, but so much so, there were lines outside of properties. Really? Yes. So one in the inner north and another one in Eltham. There were people ready, ready and waiting to go.
0: Wow. So keeping all those social distancing measures in place does mean, I guess, you may have to wait in your three metre apart lines and, and be prepared with a bit of patience on the weekend for the opens.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's interesting because in the weeks prior to the um, release of the, re- the restrictions, we saw consumer confidence starting to build, but there wasn't really the anecdotal evidence in terms of raw numbers going through properties that would have supported that. It was just more of a gut feel, whereas now we're really starting to see those open numbers as a key metric for where the market's heading.
0: Now, Ben, you're our stats man. So how was the weekend in terms of those key indicators that tell us whether or not the market's cooling or maybe there is a lot more demand there than we might think? What was the clearance rate like?
1: So we had a modest number of auctions, only 164, but that was up from the week prior, which was about 135 before that, and then only about 80 before that. So we're starting to grow as as we've talked about, but the clearance rate was very strong, 73%. So anything over 65% is an indication of a pretty strong market.
0: Mm, okay. Well, did that surprise you or did you think that maybe people were being a little shy and cautious at the moment?
1: No, it didn't surprise me because the the properties which are being auctioned at the moment uh typically nice properties. They're, they're um, well sought after properties if they've gone to an auction in these circumstances. So given the lack of stock uh, and the severe lack of stock, when we compare it to the same time last year where there were 634 auctions, wow. that's a big drop off. So um, the supply and demand is, is dictating that we're in a pretty buoyant market at the moment.
0: Do we have a median house price? Did you, you crunch the numbers on that one?
1: No, no. Week <laughs> on week, the median house price doesn't really change okay. so much. or the stats aren't there.
0: Because so. I always say that when I'm on real estate prices and they're like, median price? And I'm like, well, yeah, but does that really mean anything of what sort of property is available for me right it's, now? So
1: <laughs> It's too short a period of time to, okay. to gauge a change in metrics.
0: Well, this week we thought we would focus a little on the investment side of things. Now, I love the thought that one day the bank accounts look, got to look healthy and uh, fit for a property investment. Of course, a lot of people are talking about property investment in the current climate. So let's go sort of broadly on this. Melbourne, where do we stand as the sort of place where you'd like to invest? Are we right up there when it comes to people looking around Australia and thinking, hmm, where would be a good place to focus?
1: Definitely. I mean, Melbourne and Sydney tend to be the key capital cities where investors and home buyers are looking to put their money and it's, it's for good reason too. And we are, every Melbourneian knows that we're typically up there as the most livable city uh, rated over the last 10 years. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to invest. We've got uh, more immigration and, and uh, population growth in this state compared to any other state. In fact, we make up a third of, of new population growth um, nationally. So uh, we're seeing more people coming in here to work and to live.
0: Now, those... Surveys that you talk about that the world's most livable cities sometimes you see them, you think how on earth did Toronto get listed there and why is Melbourne above that and how come Adelaide, where you can cross town in half an hour and traffic, isn't in the list? So, look, I guess it depends on who's making the list and what sort of questions they're asking. But what sort of things do you think of when you think livable city, Ben? Like what sort of attributes are investors looking for?
1: Well, it comes down to the quality of life, doesn't it? The standard of living. I mean, in, in Melbourne, in Australia, we've got a, um, a great average income We've got unemployment rates until recently due to COVID-19 were as low as um, anywhere across the world. Uh, Multiculturalism, we're a safe place to live, we're a beautiful place to live. You've only got to look at what's happening over in the States and the unfortunate situation there that's that's unfolding. um, And to to see how much of a a fantastic place it is that we, we get to live in. And post uh, lockdowns and um, COVID-19, we are going to be more popular and more appealing than ever.
0: So Claire, do you have people coming to you who are going to invest but are still really careful about making sure the area or the actual building they're investing in does have those elements that make for great lifestyle?
2: Yeah, we do. So when a client comes to us uh, as an investor, it's part of our brief to discuss with them what they're looking for we then try and understand what they're looking to achieve because at the end of the day, it comes down to numbers and they need to make sense for us to be able to recommend a particular property or a particular area. So the numbers are the most important Ultimately, when we are looking to purchase an investment, lifestyle attributes come into it because that is what's going to underpin the value of the property as well.
0: Do you think that's actually changed? I mean, you sort of think 10, 15 years ago, maybe it was like, oh, build it and they will come. And there's always going to be a huge demand in Melbourne. And there's always going to be students who will put up with really small kitchenettes and not much space. Do you think now maybe investors are a little bit
2: more savvy? They do realise they need to compete? It's certainly something that we're really conscious of. So, It is important to ensure that you're buying something that people would like to live in and the right people would like to live in and pay a premium for. So once again, that is what underpins a good investment and will ensure that you get that good rental yield and return as well as good capital growth when you do, if at all, choose to sell that property.
0: Now, Ben, we have this rivalry in Australia between Melbourne and Sydney. It's, look, as a South Australian, I always thought it was just Melbourne who hated Adelaide, but it is strong and it still exists how would you sort of convince someone that don't even look at Sydney property, come to Melbourne, let us show you some properties?
1: Well, both capital cities um, are well worth investing in, and it's interesting that there is this separation between Melbourne and Sydney, and, and Sydney's always performed or had a higher median price than Melbourne does, and it tends to fluctuate anywhere between say fifteen percent and thirty percent, wow. and it's yeah, and it's it's a it's a bit of a, a rubber band effect that once the median price difference gets closer to 30%. We generally find that investors, homeowners and businesses tend to um, merge back to Melbourne and vice versa. Um, and a really good example of that was post-GFC, where uh, we saw a lot of big businesses start to move their head offices to Melbourne because of aff- affordability, um, which created you know this diversity that we've gotten a, and a underpinned the strength of business within Melbourne um, for both owner occupiers, investors and businesses.
0: So businesses have to look at the market as well and go, well, we could put our headquarters here. I know places like Hobart suffer from affordability, but... If our staff can't afford to live here, then we need to rethink.
1: Yeah, that's right. We look at the, the Sydney median price, which is about a million and eighty, uh, and the Melbourne median house price is nearly two hundred thousand dollars less mm-hmm. than that, um, somewhere in the mid eight hundred thousands.
0: And as an investor, should you also be looking at the types of businesses
2: in a city that you're looking to invest in, Clare? Yes, it's really important, and one thing that underpins Melbourne again is the diverse range of different businesses that operate here and run from Melbourne. So, for example, unlike perhaps your WA or Queensland, where it might be, it's really underpinned by that mining or tourism, here in Melbourne we have uh, a really diverse range. So, we've got wonderful sports precincts, food, uh, corporate, a lot of corporate commerce, a lot of arts as well. And we still have a fair bit of manufacturing here as well.
0: Do we have room to grow, Ben? I mean, you look at Melbourne's fringe, there's definitely a lot of investment, a lot of development. We see in our sort of inner city areas, there is still a whole lot of old warehouses that are filling up prime land. So do we have the space to grow? Do we have the room to grow? And do you think that's attractive for investors?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, geographically, we we are a city that can really spread. Unlike Sydney, that's landlocked and and sea locked, the sprawl of our city can really move out towards the north or south. We're around the bay, um, but it's important as an investor that you are looking at a piece of real estate that doesn't expose itself to um, having further growth in the next suburbs. So, So nothing kills price growth like the availability of very similar property. If you've just gone and bought a house, and then they're releasing land in the next suburb, unfortunately for the existing properties, it tends to stifle the price growth for a certain period of time. So it's important to look towards um, the CBD, the lifestyle areas, or down towards a peninsula where you can't just replicate the same piece of land the next suburb across.
0: I never actually thought about that with Sydney, with the actual physical, you know, the geography of the town. That's why, because you just can't get going further and further and further because there's mountain ranges and oceans.
1: <laughs> yeah. The- that's right, and that's what where Melbourne, as a population, we will continue to grow because it's much easier for our city to grow.
0: So we're seeing a lot of greenfields expansion in Melbourne's fringes, so, you know, farmland, which is now being developed. Are we seeing investors move towards investing in those areas or is it always a better thing to maybe look in the inner city?
1: We would typically recommend that investors look towards the capital city investments because 80% of our population and 80% of our economy comes out of the capital cities. But coming out of this period, which has been so unusual, we are finding that there's a big push towards lifestyle type properties. So our expectation is that we're going to see a combination of the two. We're going to see homeowners that want to be living closer to their work. So there'll possibly be a push back towards the city. There are direct studies that w- with a correlation between the amount of time that people have to commute to work and their level of happiness. So there's one of two things that you can do there to remain happy. You can either live closer to your work or you can bring your work closer to where you live and have the lifestyle. Um, so we'd expect the inner city blue chip suburbs to perform very, very well. But I would also expect lifestyle, location, coastal and country to also have great appeal over the next 10 years.
0: Look, I'm a massive fan of relocating businesses to regional Australia. I've I've got a little place in Ballarat. I just find it's a beautiful place to live. You get that heritage architecture, five minutes drive and you're in the middle of a forest or a paddock somewhere. So I, I am a big fan of that. But I guess people need to be careful, even if they're going to suddenly invest in a regional area and there isn't that sort of more surefire growth and the prices are up because, oh, everyone's working from home. Let's all move to the country. You'd probably want to be fairly good and get some great advice, wouldn't you, before putting in a stack of cash into an area that maybe hasn't proven itself?
1: Definitely. A lot of the regional... Uh, or lifestyle locations tend to have periods where they're very popular and they rise in um, prices very quickly. And then they have periods of stagnated growth. Um, Whereas the capital cities and closer to town tend to be more consistent in their performance.
0: And of course, this is all fairly general advice, you know, make sure you go and seek the advice of a professional or you could give uh, Ben and Claire a call. Let's just take a little spotlight now. Let's let's uh, put a spotlight on a particular suburb that you guys are interested in at the moment. I always fall for the articles that come up in my social media feed going, you know, this suburb's destined for the biggest growth in Melbourne for the last 10 years. Or I will fall for it and then find out. It's like, oh, well, okay, just because four people have moved there and they like the cafe. So tell me about a suburb that excites you, that interests you. The one that we'd like to...
2: Put a spotlight on today is Northcote, which is. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Jane, I believe uh, you were saying that you're actually familiar with Northcote, but for the listeners, I will uh, give an indication that it's seven kilometres northeast from the CBD. And we love it because it's a beautifully diverse area. It's filled with lots of different kinds of property. So some of our favourites being single and double fronted, period. Cottages uh, that people are choosing to buy and choose to stay in longer term. And that's really testament to the kind of area that Northcote is. It's really lively, it's filled with some really cool cafes and bars and shopping experiences. Uh, And as I said, people are choosing to buy, and instead of traditionally then moving out, selling and moving out to something larger, they're actually choosing to put their money into the properties that they have in Northcote and turn those into family homes. Now I think
0: that I must have been in Northcote, so I'll paint the picture: university student, share house, big double fronted Victorian, massive backyard that would have run I don't know fifty meters back, oh you know, wow. to an alleyway in a street full of mostly older people, a lot of people who had moved there post war, who had beautiful veggie gardens, uh, you know, Greek and Italian um, settlers as well, not just like some areas like Coburg, where, you know, you had that real strong sense of community. But there was definitely still a lot of people who had come to Northcote at that time before it was fashionable. Huge influx of us, you know, share houseies. And then the development started to happen. And so gradually the price on the share house would go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Or what you would find is the neighbours would redevelop, generally not demolish, but add an entire wing to a house out the back and before you knew it, we couldn't afford to rent there anymore. We had to go up to Preston and Thornbury. And back in the day, there was there was a few restaurants and a few cafes, but it has exploded in terms of development and just an incredibly vibrant suburb now compared to what it used to be.
1: For sure. And it's got something for everyone too. Whether you be a first home buyer and you're um, going into the area for the appeal of Um, all the cafes and the lifestyles and the pubs and the restaurants and things, or whether you be a downsizer that still wants to be within close proximity to um, the CBD, potentially have um, good access out onto East Link and go down to the peninsula, um, be close to family and friends. It's one of those middle suburbs that's got something for everyone. It Mm. it can be um, leafy and green and private, um, but still within close proximity to, to everything you need.
0: And there's a lot of development along one of the major high streets, which is called high streets, mm-hmm. you know where things started to go up and we started to get a restaurant or a hairdresser at the bottom of a building and then a whole lot of apartments at the top. Are you still finding that interest from really different types of people? You're talking about families, Claire, but you know those types of properties suit single or young couples first home buyers?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there is a range of real estate that can now be purchased in Northcote, whereas when you go back when you were renting there, Mm -hmm. it was mostly older houses, but there's been this gentrification that's happened. The developers have come through. Um, there there are the larger blocks still with the, the big period homes. Some of those have been turned into duplexes and they've done more modern townhouses side by side or one behind the other. Um, you've still got your old villa units, um, which are um, a larger um, land portion compared to your apartments, but still compact living. And then you've got the newer apartments as well. Um, so there is something for everyone.
0: You mentioned there the land price as it relates to what you're actually on that block. So we were talking before about apartments. Is that a, a sort of ratio you need to be really careful about? Is there a way of telling whether an apartment block with two hundred, you know, apartments or or a subdivision with a couple of townhouses is better bang for your buck than another property?
1: Well, I guess it's a it's a key factor. In price growth is that land to asset ratio, and and I guess in simple terms how that works is it's the proportionate land value compared to your building value, Mm -hmm. and if a a house is worth eight hundred thousand, for example, a three bedroom home on a on a block of land, if the house wasn't there, what would the land be worth? And if the land was worth six hundred thousand, the land to asset ratio is seventy five percent.
0: Okay, so six hundred
1: into eight hundred is seventy five percent. So when you're then uh, looking at your apartments. There's a greater portion, or well, there's a there's more units on the same block of land, so proportionately they've got a they've got a smaller land to asset ratio, and in real estate, generally speaking, land appreciates and buildings depreciate. So so land goes up. Land goes up. And the building, building comes down, you know. So for a, a brand new apartment, as soon as you turn the key, in some sense, the asset in itself has has probably depreciated somewhat like in terms of, of value. That's right. <laughs> as soon as you yeah. drive the car out, it's worth just that little bit less. Um, so with with apartments, it's really important that you are looking at. Something that still ha- maintains a really solid land to asset ratio, and that can be achieved by one of a couple of ways: either um, a smaller boutique complex which we see, some of the older style apartments um, that we get in and around the inner city, which might be one of eight or twelve. Um, still the land to asset ratio is still quite high or a block of units that's in a really prime position of real estate that okay. people are prepared to pay a lot of money to get into that location and they can't just replic- replicate it by going down around the corner.
0: Oh, and that's why I love Northgate as well, because you're on that little up from Westgarth, that little sort of overlook to the city. And you said 7 k's to the city. No wonder I used to be able to ride my bike to and from home when I had no money for the tram. It is actually super close with some incredible views. So a great suburb to look at this week.
2: Yeah, indeed it is. A lot of people in Northcote really do enjoy riding their bikes. A lot of property doesn't even need to have a car space there. You're listening to Under the Hammer with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor
0: Advocates Moving House call local energy retailer Red Energy. We thank them for supporting this podcast. Now, I'd like to talk about buying opportunities in a market downturn. Look, we've been talking for the last week and a bit that statistically, still very early days to see where we are placed in the current economic cycle. But, Ben, there are some properties that are potential bargains when things start to cool down a little bit. And everyone loves a bargain. So tell me where we might want to be focusing our attention if we're after a bargain at the moment.
1: So some of the things to consider, when the market does go through a downturn, people start to become cost conscious. So one factor that we look for in a softening marketplace is to look to upsize the land portion. We're talking about the land to asset ratio. It is the bigger blocks. Um, where people may be worried about the upkeep, um, the the time and, and the money that they might need to put into it. Your rates are also high uh, for higher um, land portion properties. So it's these types of homes that... People tend to go off a little bit during the downturn, but they're also the homes that tend to appreciate the fastest when things pick back up. So okay. in these down markets, if you can upsize in terms of your land portion, it will certainly hold you in good stead over the long term.
0: So if you're a family, you know that you know potentially the kids are outgrowing the place that you're in at the moment. You were thinking to start looking at the market, thinking about your options. Are you sort of saying that, well, actually don't sort of just waste too much time thinking one day we'll move seize the day.
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's on balance just looking at all of the things that you want to achieve in your in your property purchase and working out um, what you can achieve now that's a better result than what you could have under different circumstances. And a, a key example of that was a buyer that came to us um, a couple of months ago and he had looked around properties. He was a young stockbroker, um, professional that, that worked in the city but wanted to um, live out of town. So, he had a few criteria. He wanted to um, be in a nice, leafy, leafy suburb, have the space around him, but still be within two kilometres of a, a train station so that he'd ride his bike into um, the train station and jump into the city. So, he wanted to be along the Hurstbridge line. I grew up around the um, Eltham Diamond Creek area, so yeah, um, Hurstbridge is towards the end, end of, yeah. of the line there. And he looked at a property out that way that was quoted eight hundred to 880000 It was on a, a third of an acre, a character home, and came to us and said, I'm interested in buying it. Can you assist us? And um, this was right when the market was starting to um, go into lockdown because of mm-hmm. the COVID-19 restrictions. He put in an offer of 875000 and we said, look, it's, it's probably at the top end of the market. Um, and therefore, he didn't, he didn't actually buy it. Um, someone ended up paying more. We ended up getting him into research, which is a median sale prices are actually a much higher sale price area, and we got a much larger land content for him. He ended up paying towards the top end of his budget at nine hundred and fifty one thousand. We secured an acre property with a three bedroom home, but it was an acre property that was probably worth nearly a million and fifty say six weeks ago. So he's taken the opportunity to upgrade in terms of the of the location and also upsize in terms of the land.
0: And do you think people are happy to put up with the crappy bathroom and the bad 70s carpet if they are making that move to get that sort of proportion better for their future investment? Claire, do you think people are maybe seeing the financial benefits of it and not expecting everything to be picture perfect?
2: Yes, and that's something that we encourage, uh, showing these our clients, well, this is what this opportunity looks like. It does have a great floor plan. It perhaps is in a slightly better area uh, with or slightly larger land, as Ben was saying, so it could be worthwhile us looking, instead of something that's got the new, fresh IKEA kitchen, let's look at something that is somewhat dated, but in good structural condition. And if you can get into that and sit and hold long term, they're likely to be better off. Now, what about
0: people who are wanting walk-in ready, absolutely perfect, don't want to have to do any maintenance, do not want to have to get quotes and doing do any renovating? Is there a little sort of gaps in the market at the moment for those types of people, Ben?
1: Well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to um, move into something and spend no money on it at all. So um, And in these marketplaces, they tend to be the most popular homes. So if you have got a home that, that is absolutely nothing to do. You'll probably find that you're a more popular listing in this market at the moment.
0: Okay. So if people have that sort of confidence that there's not going to be little bits and pieces that are going to pop out of the woodwork, that really
1: does help at the moment. Yeah. And those homes are getting great competition and prices which are equal to that in which they were uh, six, eight weeks ago.
0: Now, tell me why properties don't sell. I find it very fascinating that you can even sort of say, well, it could have been this, this. I mean, you can't sell a place to- twice. So how do you actually work out at the end what it was that made a successful campaign or not?
1: <laughs> well, we deal with a lot of sellers that come to us after they've already been on the market for an extended period of time. They're at their wit's end because they haven't been able to get the result that they're after. There's generally three reasons why properties don't don't sell, and they all start with P, right? The first one is promotion. So your promotion is your marketing and your advertising and that can be the quality of the promotion and advertising. So maybe your photos aren't great. Maybe you haven't done a video to showcase the property as well as it could be. You didn't present the home from the start as well as what you could have, or maybe it's the quantity of the promotion that you haven't invested uh, well enough in your online advertising. Did you consider some print advertising in an area that maybe, um, you should have, um, Were there just not enough eyes on screen or getting people through the door in order to generate the interest that you're after is the first thing, promotion. Second thing is pricing. You can spend thousands of dollars on advertising, but if you're $100,000 overpriced, you're really going to struggle to sell. And this is probably the most common mistake that people make, that they present their property beautifully and they advertise it, but they're just overpriced. And overpriced listings in this current marketplace, just uh, getting the results that the vendors are after. If it's one of those two things, your price or your promotion, what you'll generally find is you'll have very low buyer numbers going through the home. People are telling you it's overpriced by not attending the open for inspection. They're not even going to bother. They're not even going to bother. <laughs> the third reason is the person handling the sale. In most cases, if a property is presented well, it's promoted well and it's priced accurately generally they'll sell in spite of a poor real estate agent um, but sometimes uh, if you if you're getting those buyers through and an agent let buyers slip through his or her fingers um, and they start to lose a bit of motivation and there's there is such a thing as you know um, uh, listing fatigue when it comes to to selling. Sometimes all it takes is just some reinvigorated energy by a new agent of some fresh eyes, changing a few bits and pieces. And so often we see a new listing picked or an old listing picked up by a new agent that sells very quickly thereafter.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. So it isn't really just about how the house or the property presents. And I was thinking when you were saying, like, if your price is too high, how many times have you seen a renovation show on TV and the couple's gone, all right, we spent, and then they go, well, we need this much to mm. sell. And I'm screaming at the television going, well, I don't think anyone cares what you need. <laughs> like, okay, if you want to clear debts and, I don't need to know that when I'm buying your house. I just need to know is the price right for me. But it sort of feels like there's this justification in their head that we've put 50 grand into this and we've got to clear this debt. You must just get so frustrated as an agent with that. And then perhaps that means the agent is wrong if they don't have the guts to stand up to their client and say, you are off the mark. You are way out of the price range here. That must be tough.
1: It is. It is. And when a market is changing or potentially going backwards, They're difficult conversations for the agents to have when possibly the comparable sales evidence suggested that a a price should be achieved at a particular level and then the market drops off. It's it's very difficult for vendors and for agents to have those types of conversations. But unfortunately, buyers don't care what the vendor's situation is, that the fact that they might've gone and bought something and need to sell their home for a particular amount of money, they're prepared to pay what they're prepared to pay and they're on their own agenda. So... um, ultimately, the vendor either looks to hold the asset, um, or otherwise they need to meet the market.
0: Mm. We were going to talk about off-the-plan purchasing today, but I think we need to hold that for another episode because I've got so many questions. What do you think, guys, next week? Sure thing. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> hey, before you go, I wanted to know whether either of you had noticed that Shane warns mm. little property down Bayside is back on the market. It's only just popped up. You'd love a look inside of Warney's house, wouldn't you?
2: <laughs> oh, I think if the walls could talk there, there'd be a few stories to tell. Uh, yes, yeah, so Warney had this on the market uh, mid-March and then decided to take it off and rest it and it subsequently just come back on. Warnie bought the property in 2018 for $5.4 million, and now he's got it on with a range of 6.8 to 7.4. And this is not Warnie's first real estate real estate transaction. Uh, this home's in Brighton, and he's bought and sold a number of properties in Brighton. Uh, so he's got a bit of an idea as to what he's looking out for. So it'll be interesting to see how that campaign tracks.
0: It's got a bar in the basement. Like You need to jump
2: onto a real estate page and check it out. There is a fully fledged bar in I the basement. I think they've called it a nightclub basement. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's certainly something worth having a look at online if you can. This was
1: previously owned by Maddie Lloyd too, wasn't it? It
0: was. It's got a real sporting connection. Um, Do you get a chance, Ben, to ever see inside of the rich and famous and super sporty uh, people's homes? And would you go and look at Warnies if you had a private invitation?
1: For sure. I mean, we've (laughs) helped out a a couple of celebrities to get into their um, current uh, dwellings, but often... Most celebrities like to approach their sale or their purchase um, with a, a level of anonymity, um, yeah. but sh- uh, Shane's not one to shy away from the media exposure, <laughs> I don't think. I, we're
0: talking about it, so I guess he's like, oh, I'll let the cameras in. Look, to be honest, I didn't actually like the colour scheme. It's all very much um, black lacquer and white wasn't my cup of tea, but I'm sure there will be plenty of people trying to get an invite to the private open inspection for that one. Hey guys, if people are interested in what you do at Ian Reid, buying and or selling, investing, like we said, this is general advice, but you can get more advice from Ben and Claire. Ben, how can we get hold of you? Give us a call,
1: nine four three zero double zero double zero. You can head to our website, ianreid.com.au. Uh, or email direct, uh, either ben or claire at ianreid.com.au. And we will put
0: all of these details in the show notes to this episode. So you can click on that for all the links, the emails and the phone numbers. Claire, you better rest up this week because I think uh, the weekend ahead is going to be a big one as well, as I think there's more auctions allowed from
2: this week onwards. Yeah, there is. And uh, more people allowed at each open as well. So we're really looking forward to it the excitement is building. Thank you so
0: much for being with us on Under the Hammer. I'm Jane and I've been with Ben Reid and also Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates. And this podcast is all thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131 806. Talk to you again next week, guys. See you, thanks.
1: Jane. Thanks for listening to Under the Hammer for Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy.
0: If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design, plus the sport of gardening with Dale Vine.
1: I never thought I'd say it, Jane, but compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you.
0: Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.